Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of UK TV's crime podcast, A Stab in the Dark, where once again we open the casebook on crime fiction and TV crime drama. My name's Mark Billingham and on every episode I'm joined by major figures from crime fiction on the page and on the screen. I went along to a central London hotel to meet someone who is front and centre when it comes to both. I might as well come right out and say that for my money, he's pretty much the best crime writer on the planet. Yes, today I'm going to be talking to the creator of Harry Bosch, Michael Connolly. We'll be talking about his brand new novel, The Wrong Side of Goodbye, and the hugely successful TV series, Bosch. We'll also try to avoid falling out about whether country music is better than jazz. It is. We'll be talking to the star of Alibi's Rosewood about being a hotshot private pathologist in sunny Miami. Finally, we'll be asking Michael for his top picks for what to read and what to watch when it comes to killer crime stories. Welcome to A Stab in the Dark. So, Michael, welcome. We've we've just managed to catch you at the tail end of your uh, visit to the UK. Just one leg of what I know is a hectic touring schedule. Does this does this part of the job get any easier? Uh, I think um, now that I'm at the ripe age of sixty, the uh, travel part wears me down. But you know, from your own experiences, when you're once you get to a place and you're meeting people who uh, are interested in your books and so forth, it's that's the fun part. So you that like doesn't me- get older, doesn't get harder. It's, no, but you like great. meeting readers. I mean, it's getting that feedback. Yeah, I mean, it's like, as they say, uh, was it, what's the saying? Shooting fish in a bowl or something? A barrel. Or, I think barrel, it's a barrel. A barrel, yeah. In I a mean, bowl, people it'd be even easier. <laughs> actually, last night, actually, in Harrogate, I even asked for a show of hands of who hated Harry Bosch, and no one put their hand up. That's a bold so. question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was illustrating the point that people come out because they like what you're doing, so... What's not to like about that? Well, we're going to be talking about the latest novel, which fans will be delighted to hear is another Harry Bosch. But I want to go back to, to when we first met. I, I actually interviewed you, I don't know if you remember this, almost 17 years ago um, before I was published. And, and back then, you told me back then that it was getting harder to write about Harry because the books at that point were certainly getting darker. This was around the time of Angel's Flight, I think. Is that still the case? No, I mean, it's, it's funny that you remember that. I remember you had, like, a really bad cold, and I was worried about getting it. But anyway, um, yeah, the the I think on the darkness level, the books kind of bottomed out the next time I wrote about him in the darkness more than night, where, um, you know, Harry's a guy who's always kind of walked along the line 
of what's uh, morally acceptable and he crossed it in that book and I always look at in the terms of the series that was the low point where he actually dipped his feet into the abyss um, but what was cool about that is that you knew you you had comebacks. Uh, I was at that stage in my career. I knew there'd be another book. Um, I wouldn't have to worry about that. So I knew when I hit the bottom, I could start climbing out. And I think he started climbing out. And about two books later, from that point we talked, he found out he had a daughter. And I think that really kind of saved him and it saved the series and it pointed it in a new direction. And uh, so here I am. 17 years later <laughs> but we spoke we spoke again at length a couple of years ago and i remember you saying that you felt like you maybe had a limited time with harry because you're aging him in real time so you wanted to keep you know it was kind of an urgent thing to keep writing about it yeah i mean there's definitely um at that point now the last book um harry was pushed out of the department as he as he turned uh close to 65 and uh that was like living by the sword and dying by the sword. Um, if he's, you're going to age somebody in real time, you can't really have them working for the real police department, you know, into their 70s. So that dictated another change in the direction, and I think the new book takes us in that direction. So this new one uh, is the 21st full-length uh, Bosch novel. He, he, you know, has brief appearances in other ones. And it strikes me that the way you've kept that series fresh is, uh, is to step away from it every so often to do something else. Um, I, I tried to do the same thing, and I learned that from you. Um, you know, obviously there's the, there's the Lincoln Lawyer books, and we'll talk about Mickey Haller a little later, but was that a conscious decision at the time when you first stepped away and wrote The Poet? Were you aware that maybe writing one Harry Bosch book after another might not be such a good idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was feeling it. The poet was the, uh, uh, you know, the cure at the time. I set up the Bosch series with four books in a row and uh, felt like um, I don't think if I if my life as a writer is only writing about Harry Bosch, it will last that long. I really need it um, to change things up. And luckily, I was within a year of like retiring, if you will, from being a journalist. And so I had this idea of, you know, wanting to write about that world while it was still fresh in my experiences. And so I did The Poet, and that was a learning experience for me. So then I did that cycle every every now and then, um, came back to something um, new as a break from Harry. And, and you find that when you do go back to Harry, you're kind of fired up, you're looking forward to spending yeah. time with him again? Yeah, that's a good way of describing it, fired up. You really come back like, uh, I can't wait to get back to writing something about him. I mean, it was a heck of a good decision because The Poet, in many ways, was a, was a real breakout book for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it looks like a part of a master plan, but it really wasn't. <laughs> uh, and actually, even I remember my publisher's face kind of dropping when I said, hey, I'm going to write about a reporter, um, because generally reporters don't push the action in if you want to be accurate about them. They're observers. And uh, so the idea didn't go over so well, but um, somehow, because I think that was more of a thriller than a police procedural um, they kind of were able to tee, tee that up and really, um, as you say, make it a breakout book for me. So, because it was a breakout book, were they, were they then not going, hey, how about another one of those uh, <laughs> one of those books about, you don't want to go back to that Harry Bosch guy, how about another kind of big standalone thriller? Um, I think there was a, a delay in publishing so that by the time The Poet came out and was doing good things for me, I was either finished a Harry Bosch book or well into it. So there, there wasn't a decision of like, hey, leave Harry Bosch behind. But it was noted like, hey, keep remember this. Let's do it again. And then I think it was three books later I did a book called The Blood, Blood Work. And that had the same um, effect. It, it bumped 
my profile up in terms of sales and uh, critical attention and so forth. And what happened on each of these things is that um, these so-called one-offs would do that, and then the next Harry Bosch would would come up and match it. So it was a way of bringing uh, Bosch fans uh, or bringing in more Bosch fans and growing my audience. Right. Well, I mean, all those characters, Terry McCaleb from from Bloodwork and Jack McAvoy and Harry and Mickey, they all move sort of along the same plane, which is, yeah. you know, contemporary L.A., almost like you imagine, you know, Harry will pull up in his car at a stoplight and, you know, McAvoy would walk across the crossing or something. I mean, again, was that a very deliberate decision that they were all going to inhabit the same fictional world? It, it became that way. Um, if You know, initially, like The Poet, for example, has no connection really to Bosch. And then later in a sequel called The Narrows, Bosch is in it. So, uh, you know, it, it was a... It wasn't like part of a master plan, but eventually I realized if I'm going to keep doing these non-Bosch books, I should connect them in some way. But even in spite of the success of The Poet and the Mickey Haller books, you know, hugely successful movie, The Lincoln Lawyer, it's always seemed to me that Bosch is your guy, that that that, that Harry is always going to be the guy you want to come back to. And, I, and again, I seem to remember you saying something to me along the lines of, those books demand more of you. You kind of want to... You know, you want to write at a higher level somehow when you're writing about Harry. Well, I do think that um, this is very egotistical to say, but whenever I'm finished being a writer, I'll be judged on Harry Bosch. And, and, and I'm probably going to not care whenever I'm finished as a writer how I'm judged, but I think that's the way it will be. I mean, he'll be the guy that maybe is mentioned on my tombstone. So I do um, probably put more creative thought into him. Um, you know, when I'm not writing, it's like, what's, what, what do I do with Harry next? Or what's Harry doing now? The, the other characters don't, um, force their way into my imagination the way he does. He comes knocking, going, yeah, more, more to do. Well, I, I, I mentioned the Lincoln Lawyer movie, but before that was the film adaptation of Bloodwork, which I've already mm-hmm. talked about with Clint Eastwood. Um, and again, I think I'm right in saying that, that Eastwood playing that character's made it a lot harder for you to write about him in, in a way that hasn't happened with Mickey or with Bosch on TV, that that kind of, you know, Eastwood playing that character sort of ruined him for you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, you know, first of all, he's an iconic actor, and that can push into your imagination. But the uh, real thing was, um, as so typical happens in Hollywood, he was so unlike the guy in the book. He was something like 30 years older than him. <laughs> That's that great scene when he's running at the beginning and yeah. he's trying to catch the guy. Running you you place, are never going to catch that guy. <laughs> yeah, running in place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so that kind of, that did really kind of affect how I thought about um, Caleb and, you know, when I was going to come back to him. And eventually I only came back to him to um, to finish him off. And uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't mention which book. But... No, um, okay. It's, uh, yeah, that was weird. I mean, and and I have two degrees of that now. I have, so The Lincoln Lawyer was a film I really liked. And Matthew McConaughey, though not described as I do in the book, was the right age and the right temperament. And so when I write um, the Haller books now, I actually do see McConaughey, but it is not, it's not a killer. It doesn't kill off the series. It's just something I've incorporated into what I do. Okay, you see him even though he's physically very different from yeah. from Mickey, the, yeah. the Mickey in the books, right? Maybe it's because of his power as an actor as well. I don't really know. But with the Bosch books where there's a TV show, 
I don't see, uh, as much as I love Titus um, Welliver as Bosch, I don't see him when I write the books because there's a big age difference. I'm writing about a Harry in his 60s, and right. Titus is about 52. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the, CV, the series, which has been recommissioned for a third and a fourth series. So you were talking about the casting there, and there was very much a kind of universal thumbs up, I think, with, with Titus Welliver. I mean, it was a big, th- you know, it's been around for a while, the possibility of Bosch coming to the screen, and all the fans of Bosch, myself included, are kind of, oh, you know, how's this guy going to be? But I, I think he's fantastic. I mean, I certainly see him when I read the books now. Okay. You, you, you were pleased with how it all turned out? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, and I had a hand in choosing him, so... Um, if, if people don't like him, I'm the only one to blame, um, I think. Um, but, yeah, I think he's he's not like the guy I describe in the books, although I don't describe him a whole lot in the books. But he has this uh, kind of interior depth and hurt and baggage and so forth that he's able to project in some way that I think is really the connecting point. I think it's really good. Well, you don't describe him in the books, but I, I know that you built up a picture over the years of, of who your Bosch is. And I seem to remember you telling me once a story about you saw him. You saw your Bosch when you yeah. were watching coverage of the O.J. Simpson case. Yeah, I, it was weird. I had that? a uh, fully conjured image in my head that I put together myself. That's um, how I like to read. I like to conjure. I don't like read a book and say, oh, that's um, Thorne, you know, is David Morrissey or something like that. I don't immediately attach to like a movie star or someone, a figure in my life. I really kind of make a character up out of whole cloth and I write the same way. I give enough that hopefully it, spark, it sparks some imagination in the reader. But anyway, one time uh, I was watching one of the never-ending OJ trial segments and they had brought in a prosecutor um, from up in the, San, the Bay Area, up near San Francisco, because he was a specialist in... Uh, DNA, and because DNA was so new then, they actually had to go outside of L.A. County to find the best prosecutor on it. Right. And the guy, his name was Rock, too. Rockney Harmon. Rockney? Yeah, Rockney <laughs> Harmon. And uh, I was thinking, like, oh, my God, that's exactly how I picture Harry Bosch. He even had the mustache, and uh, it was really shocking. So then I watched the entirety of his performance on O.J. They just brought him in, actually, to... I think cross-examine the defense's expert on DNA or something like that. Hard to remember now, but um, it was it looked just like him. And actually, you can actually Google Rockney Harmon because he became pretty famous as a DNA guy, and he has a website. But it's now him, whatever, 20 years later. So now I don't think he looks like the Harry Bosch I carry in my head, but in the 90s, he looked exactly like But if like he looked him. like the Harry Bosch you carry in your head like then, why, why wouldn't he look like Harry now? You've aged Harry Well, you've got to then. talk to Rockley about that, about right. the hard life he's led. I don't Rock, know. It does sound awfully like a porn star. Rockney, <laughs> Rockney Harmon. Yeah. yeah. But, the, the, I mean, the interest in bringing Bosch to the screen had been around for ages, hadn't it? I mean, yeah. wasn't, didn't, didn't Ted Talley, who wrote Silence of the Lambs, do a script for it at some point? Yeah, initially in the 90s, I guess back when they were still making kind of detective movies, which they don't really make anymore, um... The Bosch stuff at that time was it was the first three books were all um, optioned and bought by Paramount to make films, and they dove right in and got Ted Talley, who had just won an Oscar, I think, in '91 or something for Silence of the Lambs. He wrote a really good script, but it was too long, so I know that kind of killed that project. And uh, there were several scripts written. I even wrote one. I rewrote one for them, and they just w- didn't capture the kind of like that interior thing going on with Bosch, and um, nothing ever happened. 
And I think that wasn't a transition in Hollywood where they were realizing, well, you can see a cop shows every night on TV, so we're not going to spend like $40 million to make a movie out of one. So they got shelved and shelved for a long time, and I finally got the rights back um, in 2010. Well, those, those interior moments, the, the Harry Bosch interior moments that you just mentioned, um, I seem to remember you saying that when, when you first met with the producers of the TV stuff and they were, you know, it was being mooted, that one of the first questions you asked them is, are we going to get plenty of back deck moments? Are we going to get those moments? Is there going to be time uh, for those sort of rumination scenes where Harry's right. sitting there listening to some jazz and he's got a drink and he's looking out in the canyon and thinking about stuff? Uh, that that was very important to you, that it was going to be character-based. It wasn't going to slam-bam kind of action every two minutes. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're by design, they're in every book. That's where he kind of puts things together and, you know, takes a, a measure of his world. And, yeah, I mean, you know, if you can, if a movie's going to be, like, at the most two hours, you know, you're just not going to be able to um, service the character very well. And, like, so all this time that the books were on the shelf in the basement somewhere at Paramount. I kept writing about Harry Bosch, and so by the time 2010 rolled around, I got him back. At that point, I think I had 15 or 14 Bosch books, and so it made that decision a, a no-brainer. Like, why would I take a character I've invested like about two million words in to a movie uh, studio that's gonna reduce it to 110 pages? Um, so I, you know, I told my representatives and so forth, I'm really only interested in this golden age of television that's going on, you know, um, serialized television. Uh, I, I kind of arbitrarily said, I, I think I need 60 hours to properly deliver this character. And what's great about getting this four-season pickup is that I know I'm going to have 40 of them, and hopefully, uh, you know, some two-thirds of the way towards that goal of, uh, I think, really telling the Harry Bosch story. And I don't think you were hugely keen to be, you know, massively involved. But the, what was what was most important to you was to be, you know, the Bosch police, to be there yeah. to, you know, are you getting Harry right? Is is that kind of the way it turned out? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very lucky. I mean, I should start any conversation by saying or talking about how lucky I am, you know. And so I was in a position where I could just, like, thumb my nose at Hollywood. I did not need Hollywood. When I made those deals with Paramount back in the 90s, I needed Hollywood because I wanted to get out of my day job. But, um, you know, I could take or leave Hollywood. So I really adapted or adopted this um, stance that you either do it my way or I, I'll wait and I can wait. And I'll very, wait till but so plenty of writers wouldn't have waited. Plenty of writers well, would have gone, I, I, what? That's I'll take how, the money. Let's do it. No, I, I, that's how I was in the 90s. And I didn't have to be that way in 2010. And um, so I was only going to do it uh, if I could come along with the project to kind of be the integrity police of, of this character I've invested so much of my writing life in. Um, I wanted it signed in a contract that every shot would be shot in Los Angeles. And that was that's a real killer with Hollywood because at least they can shoot interiors by – they can actually save money by putting everybody on a plane and going to Canada and shooting all their interiors. That's actually cheaper than doing everything in Los Angeles, really? believe it or not. Well, it's just, that, just the overheads of shooting in Los Angeles. Just yeah, the town. unions and, and locations and things like that and the cost of stages. It's you know Now, now three years in, I'm very well versed in how much things cost. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, but I wanted that, probably naively wanted that, but I wouldn't back away from it. Um, but I didn't have to be on it full time. I ended up being on it full time the first two seasons and um, 
we're now in the middle of the third and I've kind of shrunk back to like two thirds time and because uh, it's, it's, it's going well I like everything they're doing and it's it, it gets to a point where it's like a, a machine <laughs> a good machine yeah a good machine that you know you got to watch over and you know oil and all those type of things so it's not, I'll never walk away from it completely but you know well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the new book, obviously. But now, a stab in the dark's roving reporter is once again taking to the road to collar some of those who bring us the very best in crime fiction and crime drama on the telly. In this episode, our man dusting for prints, Paul Hirons, meets the star of Rosewood, Morris Chestnut, to talk about sunny Miami and American crime. Welcome to the world of Dr Beaumont Rosewood Jr., a name almost as good as the man who plays him, Morris Chestnut. Now, I'd tell you about Rosewood myself, but what's the point when the man himself is here to do it for us? Here's Morris. Rosewood is a pathologist that can read people extremely well. He lives every day like it's his last, and he likes to impose optimism on people and gets them to see life in a, in a, in a sunnier, brighter perspective. When he meets Annalise Villa, she's at a place in her life to where she's dealt with some tragedies, and she's seen the glass half empty, and so she's very guarded with her feelings and her emotions. And that's the fun thing about it. And they're really there to do the same thing. That's really to help solve cases and help bring closure to families that have issues. Rosewood is a pathologist crime drama similar in tone to Castle and Rizzoli and Isles. It's light and funny, but there's also an addictive procedural element that always sees the good guys win. Now, the key to success in these sorts of shows is the kind of chemistry between the two main characters, in this case, Dr Rosewood and his partner, Detective Annalise Veer, played by Jaina Lee Ortiz. But does this kind of chemistry happen naturally or do the actors have to work at it? Uh, my relationship with Jaina, it really, really came very easily. We had tested uh, like four actresses and the network decided to go in a different direction. Jaina was not one of those actresses. She was tied up in another deal. And basically when the network wanted to go in another direction, um, Jaina became available. Like that next day, she went on tape. The network loved her and we didn't have a chemistry read. They just hired her. So the first time I met her um, was at a table read. So we had a table read together in front of everybody. That was for a couple of hours. The next time I met her, we had lunch for about an hour. And the next day we were working together. And it's tough sometimes. Sometimes you have all these chemistry reads with people and, you know, you try to force it. And sometimes it just happens. And with Jana and I, it just happened. So you'll see lots of beautiful people, mostly in a state of undress, and party goes doing, you know, party kind of things because... Well, it's Miami after all. But how much does a location influence the story and the kind of crime it contains? Crime is crime and solving a case is solving a case. So the backdrop is very important in differentiating themselves from each other and separating themselves from each other. You know, I think of a crime drama, I think of the one I'm most familiar with here in, in, in London is, is Luther. The backdrop of the city and the, the, the setting and the place um, has particular nuances that affect the pursuit of the crime. And that's what differentiates um, CSI in Las Vegas from Miami or all these different places. So Morris Chestnut there, the man with the extraordinary name. And of course, you might have seen him in things like Boys in the Hood, American Horror Story and Legends. And now, of course, Rosewood. And if you think it sounds like your cup of pina colada, head on over to Alibi. (laughs) 
Mike, if we, if we go back to what Morris was saying there, I, I remember saying to you once that, that it seemed like Bosch had a kind of love-hate relationship with, a, with LA, and you said that it was actually closer to kind of hope and despair. Yeah, or, or <laughs> hope and cynicism. Yeah. Right, like, right. It, it's a weird contradiction, but I think he's a cynical, hopeful man. Do you think there's any such thing as a typical uh, American crime drama, or, or does an American show have, have defining characteristics you think is or maybe it's more more to do with the difference between a show being on a network and the show being yeah. on a subscription channel is that is that really the key difference yeah i mean uh, you know we all grew up without this wide expanse of cable and streaming possibilities and um so you grew up with um shows having to you know begin and end in an hour and you know even a streaming show like bosch you know 10 episodes eventually there's um some kind of justice fulfillment yeah, so I mean, I think there's uh, ongoing aspects or traditions that you know are borrowed from books. I think you're more likely to find in a book a uh, possibly unsatisfactory concluding uh, end to a story. But um, I think in TV, you know, when, especially when you have non-creative people uh, on top of the creative people that um, are controlling and have final say, you're going to end up having the good guys win. Well, do you think it's in a good place at the moment, American crime drama? I mean, obviously, we've, we've, ha- we've had a lot of it in this country over the years, uh, and, and, and a ton of it right now. We've, we've just had the night of on Sky Atlantic, and the second season of Secrets and Lies is currently on the UK TV channel W. But it seems to me that they're all very different. There's an incredible range of them. But do you think there's anything that links them thematically? I mean, is it, is it going back to what you just said about justice, essentially? Um, I... You know, I think the something that links them now is that the protagonists are most often um, almost as damaged as the people they're they're seeking out. Right. But they've overcome their in you know internal injuries um, to not act out uh, of the the lines of society and kill somebody, for example. Um, but it but it's you know you don't have a lot of shows where someone opens the door at the end of the day and says, "Honey, I'm home." <laughs> You know, it's 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 all kind of loners seeking loners, and it's this whole kind of um, dark world. And is that is that change a reflection of what's happening in the American crime novel? Um, do you think that's changed similarly over the years? I th- when I think back, uh, you know, I was inspired to be a writer by Raymond Chandler, and I don't think I think Raymond Chandler's work, you know, his characters and their uh, his character, I should say. And his loneliness and his uh, feeling of being an outsider is, uh, you know, carried on today. I do remember, like, Robert Parker's books. Here's the private eye who, you know, uh, cooks dinner for his girlfriend and has these intellectual discussions. I don't think there's a lot of that happening anymore. Well, let's let's talk about Chandler um, in, in the new novel, the fantastic new novel, Wrong Side of Goodbye. Uh, Harry's now working as a private investigator. He's also doing some part-time unpaid work for small police department in san fernando but he's summoned at the start of the book to the house of this legendary california kind of tycoon who wants harry to find out if he's got an heir to his vast fortune um and what strongly came across reading the book is, is several real hat tips to chandler you know right right at the beginning it's like it's like the opening of the big sleep when when Marlowe says something, you know, describes the great clothes he's wearing because, you know, says I'm about to, I was about to call on $4 million. Well, you know, Bosch is about to probably call on $4 billion. Right. Uh, but that opening was certainly kind of very uh, resonant of Chandler. That goes back to the standard of the detective in fiction, you know, goes back to the Raymond Chandler essays about the detective being able to pierce all levels of society from the 
highest mansion on the top of the hill to the gutter. Actually, Harry, um, little known fact, Harry Bosch's original name was Pierce when okay. I wrote the first um, draft of the first book. I hadn't really settled on a name, but I was a big disciple of uh, Raymond Chandler and had read his essays. And on that one essay, I can't remember the name of it or whatever, but he kept using the word Pierce about how the detective pierces this veil and also all kinds of uh, references to piercing. <laughs> and so I called him <laughs> Pierce, no first name, just detective. Is it The Simple Art of Murder? Is that the essay when he's Probably, talking about? Yeah. 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 And um, so it was... Um, no first name, just Detective Pierce in the first draft. And then later I switched to Detective Bosch. And the title, the title, you know, it's the, it's the title Chandler didn't use, isn't it? It's such a fantastic title. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's a, well, he did use it, the long goodbye. Yeah, I just right. kind of stole it and changed it, added a couple uh, letters. But, yeah, I mean, I reached this point, you know, um, I became a writer because I was inspired by Raymond Chandler, but I went down this road of journalism, and so when it was time for me to feel confident in trying to write a novel, I used what I knew. I would just spent, you know, 10 years in police stations, so I wrote about a detective. So I, in a way, you could say my inspiration was um, hijacked, and I went down the road of the guy with the badge and the gun, and, and, and you know, Chandler wrote about the classic outsider. Well, I was writing about an insider. Um, he might have felt like an outsider, but he was certainly a representative of the state when he walks around with a badge and a gun and so forth. So I went down that path for 20-some years, and now finally Harry is retired in, in my last book, The Crossing. And so here I am, and I'm realizing, hey, I can finally write you know, what brought me to the table. I can try my hand at the um, Private Eye novel, and that's what Harry will be from now on. And so... Um, you know, of course, I wanted to, as you call it, a hat tip. I wanted to um, go back to my roots. I had a lot I had to do if I also turned 60 in the year I was writing this. And, uh, you know, uh, go back to my roots and write something that um, by design would people would say, oh, he's saying hi or thanks to Raymond Chandler. Well, Wrong Side of Goodbye, great, great title for novel. Also the title of a, of a, of a pretty good country song by a band called Hillbilly Vegas. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, when you come up with a title, you Google it. And has this been used before? Right. And that was the one reference I found to it. Yeah. Now, I mean, I did say at the beginning about, you know, I don't don't think we should get into the whole jazz versus country thing. But it once in a while, you know, yeah, do you get that when when a uh, reader will email you going, why don't why doesn't Bosch team up with, I don't know, Robbie Show or some American private eye? And I've, I've occasionally been asked, oh, I'd love to see uh, Tom Thorne in a book with Harry Bosch. Obviously, never going to happen. But if it did happen, however well they got on, they'd fall out about what music to listen to. Yeah, they'd be driving in a car. <laughs> yeah, to keep switching the other... between the co- the country and the jazz. No, stations. but I'm glad to hear that that's a good song because I, you know, I I googled the the title I came up with. Oh, there's a song by an obscure country band, as you say, um, based in Las Vegas, which is also kind of raised a flag for me. Yeah. But um, I listened to the song, and not being a guy who knows a lot about country, I actually sent it to my daughter, who is very much into country, and I said, is this a good song or not? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, she has gone with me to uh, a concert of a young uh, uh, sax player, um, a prodigy named Grace Kelly, of all names, uh, um, who plays sax and is, lives in L.A., and my daughter's gotten to know her and so forth. So maybe that's it's kind of what Harry does with his daughter in the show. He's trying to push her a little bit towards jazz and uh, uses Grace Kelly as the bait. But she she likes country. 
Yeah, she's well, she's got a wide um, uh, musical taste, but country's uh, high up there. Well, it's uh, as you say, it's a, it's a private eye novel, so it's the first kind of proper private eye novel you've written. But it's also a very different novel in another way, I think, because the case takes Bosch into the past as as the sort of tragic story of of this tycoon's descendants unfolds. But there's another story on a more public case as Bosch is on the trail of a of a serial rapist. And did the book always have that shape, that kind of hybrid idea of of two sort of stories going on at the same time? No, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a testament to uh, being able to keep moving and keep writing and adding and, and so forth. I, I was in the middle of very early stages of writing this book when we were filming the second season of Bosch, and um, there is a little town called San Fernando, only three square miles in the middle of, the, of Los Angeles. And it has its own police department and tries to be autonomous as possible. Only 31 cops. And they have a very small tax base. So they're one of these communities that says, hey, do you want to film? Come to San Fernando. We'll, we'll open the doors and we'll do whatever we can. And so we had a scene that was going to take three days to film. And it was a major shootout outside of a bank. And, that, and that's the kind of thing that most of Los Angeles frowns on. We don't want to shut down streets. We don't want to shut down a shopping center. But San Fernando is, hey, we need the money. Come here. <laughs> So we were shooting that there, and we were using off-duty San Fernando cops to um, provide security for our set. And one of them sidled up to me at one point and said, love your books. And then he said, excuse me, he said, um, you know, we are so underfunded here, and we have so few cops that we have a magnificent um, voluntary program of reserve officers. And, you know, I read your last book and Harry retired. So I'm just saying (laughs) if he wants to keep his hand in and homicide, he should come here. And it was like, are you kidding? How would that happen? And I met the chief and we talked about it. And so what happens in the book where Harry kind of volunteers his time to look at cold cases um, is exactly what uh, there's a detective in at San Fernando that does this. So I kind of, piggybacked on him so it's a different kind of book in in several ways but is that because you think it's i mean obviously we've heard about where the book sort of came from but do you think it's important when you're this far into a series to keep breaking fresh ground to keep trying to do different things yeah i mean we're both in the same boat on that you know we have the the last thing we want is the story or the character to be static from book to book um you know, it has to always be changing. It can't just be the same old, same old. When you feel that as a writer, then certainly your readers are going to feel that, and then it's over. So, yeah. And as still, as I those... feel that, I'm out of here. Yeah, with absolutely. Bosch. So the, the minute you feel that, your readers are going to feel that, right? Yeah. It, that's going to come across. And still, those those magical kind of back deck moments. Harry on his own. Harry with with his daughter, and it's and it's kind of tricky with his daughter now because she's gone. She's away at college, uh, and he's missing it. You know, and he's he's thinking about that relationship a lot. And it comes across to me, might be completely barking up the wrong tree here, but that those scenes are more enjoyable to write for you. I get the I, I get the impression that you know the nuts and bolts of the plot. That's that's stuff you have to sit and figure out. But it's much more of a joy to write those those scenes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's because those are more reflective of a life. And I also am aware that this is this. Most people who read my books have not solved murders, but they have probably raised a teenager. And so I also know these are connecting points. These are ways of bringing Harry closer to the reader, which is, you know, job number one when you're writing a book. Uh, connect your character, your protagonist emotionally to the reader. And so they're very valuable, I know, and they're somewhat easy to write because I've had these experiences myself. And, you know, many times 
stuff that um, Harry's daughter says, um, my own daughter has said to me. And so it's, yeah, the, the short answer is, yeah, I, I think those are the heart of the book and they are the um, things I like writing the best. I, I think they're also a sign of, of maturing as a writer. I mean, I, I remember having this conversation 15 years ago with John Harvey, who we both know, who, who talks about his equivalent of the back deck moments are the looking out the window moments. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me how much he enjoyed writing those, much more than, you know, who killed who and all this right. kind of stuff. And he said, and that will, <laughs> he said, that will happen to you. You will enjoy those moments more. And I, at the time, yeah. I sort of said, no, I like the crash bang wallop of the right. kind of... Now, and he's absolutely right. I'm, ex I mean, yeah. I'm exactly where he was then. Um, and I think you kind of, you, you get a bit older, you write a few more books, and they're the things you want to go back to. People came, have often come up to me sympathetically saying, ah, oh, Harry's too old to be a cop anymore. And it's like, yeah, I can deal with that. It's more like his daughter has to be, if you're doing everything in real time, his daughter has to leave the home. She has to go to college. And I was thinking, that's going to be tougher, to, you know, because I'm going to miss her the way um, Harry misses her. So, um, yeah. But, um, you know, I found a way through this marvelous invention of texting to um, keep her part of the story. So what's next for Harry? And what's next for you, Mike? Um, I think... You know, it's weird. Um, it goes back to the beginning of the conversation. I th I'm, I'm not sure, so don't hold me to this, but I think I'm going to do a new character next because I think it is time to uh, let the batteries restore a little bit on Harry uh, and Mickey Haller, for that matter, because he's been in a lot of the books lately. And uh, also, some, again, comes back to turning 60. I want to... Um, I want to kick out a new character before it's all over, you know, so I think it might be a prime time to uh, explore somebody new. As promised, in each episode we ask our guests to bring along their own recommendations for a good read and a good watch. And for this episode, Mike, it's down to you. So maybe a, pri maybe a Private Eye novel and a Private Eye show or movie. We've been talking a lot about them. What about a Private Eye novel? A private Eye novel? This is semi... Yeah, it's a Private Eye novel. I just finished reading uh, our friend Michael Carita's book, Rise of the Dark. Um, I really liked it, but I also... He sent half of the book in this really small Florida town that I happen to be very familiar with because I covered it when I was a newspaper reporter 30 years ago. So that book had a particular personal resonance for me uh, to read, but it was a very well-done thriller. Okay, and what about something to watch? Well, I'm, I'm going to be behind the, uh, the curve here. Uh, <laughs> Columbo. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, I'm... Because I really like the show The Fall, but I came to it late. So I, okay. I um, streamed the two seasons that are available in my country just recently. And I think the third the season third may have already running, started. Well, it's running yeah. here now, yeah. yeah very I, controversial show. Oh, the, yeah. uh, the Daily Mail, which is a very kind of right-wing newspaper over here, said it was the most evil television show ever made, which I think, wow. I think is a fantastic really? recommendation. Wow. You've got to watch that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, I didn't think the first two were evil. Uh, they played with the viewer a lot, but... Um, but, you know, more power to them for that. So I really look forward to the third season. But like I say, you guys already have that going. We don't have it yet. Well, you can find the details of all Mike's recommendations uh, online. And that just about wraps things up for this edition. If you want to see just how the great Harry Bosch gets on as a private investigator and to lose yourself in a crime novel from a writer at the very top of his game, The Wrong Side of Goodbye is published by Orion. You can find out more about A Stab in the Dark, along with articles and some great book competitions, at uktv.co.uk slash dark, or get in touch with us on Twitter, hashtag astabinthedark. And don't forget to review us. I may even read it out. My thanks, as always, to our producers Sam Pearson and Paul Hirons, to my very special guest Michael Connolly, and until the next edition, my name's Mark Billingham. Thank you very much for listening. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bollandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.